and with the usual Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's going on? Not too much. We are continuing our discussion of some of the weirdest NBA seasons ever. Of course, we're in the midst of the 2020 bubble season, the uh, return to play after a four-month break. So that's uh, we talked about our previous episode, part one of this uh, weirdest NBA seasons ever uh, series. We um, talked about some of the more recent weird seasons. Now we're going to dive back a little bit into deeper NBA history and talk about some of the uh, weirdest seasons of the uh, you know first few decades of the NBA's history. Yeah, we you know in our, in our part one we kind of talked about you know recent ones the 2011 lockout the 99 lockouts and you know seasons in the 90s some seasons you know early early 90s as well Michael Jordan retirements all kind of you know more recent ones and and we're gonna dig deep for the weird now too these are for the real heads here so we're gonna get into some some very odd seasons some weird playoffs some new teams just you know those were like you know hey the NBA which has been super solid and super popular they decide that this is gonna happen this is like the NBA has no idea what they're doing at this point uh, with many things and just things are wild and weird and crazy and 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 definitely weird so it's good that we're we're doing a part two here yeah Uh, so uh we're gonna go to the very first nba season 1950 the baa and the nbl have merged uh the three-year-old baa the 12-year-old nbl uh the baa had previously rated several nba nbl teams we'll get that a little bit more below um (laughs) and there was of course interest from both leagues owners and having control of all the top players to avoid bidding wars and higher salaries and uh all that kind of thing so neither side is like super excited about necessarily joining the other side you know the baa traditionally big cities um not really into you know having uh you know Sheboygan and Waterloo, you know, uh, at Madison <laughs> Oh, stop. Yeah. Have you ever been uh, to Sheboygan? It's a lovely town. That could definitely, I've, I've <laughs> definitely yeah. can, can handle a professional uh, sports franchise, particularly an NBA franchise. So I'm sure, sure. I'm sure the players would love to sign with the Sheboygan team. So yeah, well, that's a look back to get the to bring back the Sheboygan team. Probably change their name, but <laughs> the name's um, going to have to change, I think, unfortunately. Yeah, but uh, otherwise, the city doesn't have to change. The city could just keep being as great as it is. So can keep. Keep being Chipoykin, absolutely. We would not be anything different. Yes, and NBL traditionally had had the better talent, although that shifted a little bit with you know the defections of the Lakers and other teams into the BA before the merger occurred. So, um, yeah, so the you know the Lakers win the NBA the first NBA championship. They defeat the Syracuse Nationals four games to two in the finals. This not really a surprise because the Lakers had won the BA championship in 1949, and when they were in the NBL, had won the championship the previous year. So you know they got George Mike and you know the a great roster of talent. You know, pretty good there. So, yeah, having George Mike is, is is a good strategy to uh, in the in the late 40s and early 50s for sure. Yeah. So, you know, there's there's 17 teams in the league. It's a weird three-divisional structure. Basically, the 10 surviving BAA teams from the previous year played a really heavy schedule of games with each other and not much against the seven former NBL teams and then and kind of vice versa. With the exception of Syracuse, who regionally was was in the in the Eastern Division with teams that were that were you know within its region that had been former BA. But other than that, the NBL teams for the most part were uh, segregated into one division in the Western Division. So um, we'll talk to the setup. There were uh, the Central Division w- was the Royals, who are now the Kings. They had first been in the NBL, but they had joined the BAA before the merger. Um, so when when they merged, they were BAA team. Uh, the Lakers, basically the same boats. Originally NBL, but they jumped to the BAA pre-merger. 
Uh, then the Chicago Stags, who were um, from the BAA, but they would fold after this first season. Uh, the Pistons, originally in the NBL, like the Lakers and Royals, they jumped to the BAA before the merger. And then the St. Louis Bombers, who, uh, like the Stags, were BAA and folded after the 1950. Um, with me so far, Rich? I am, yeah. So this is nice and easy. I get this. These are all pretty good teams. Okay, I got it. Things are going to be okay. a while, though, aren't they? A little bit, little bit weird, yeah. So <laughs> uh, the Eastern Division, it's five BAA teams and one NBL team. The NBL team uh, was the Nationals, and unlike the previous NBL teams, they actually joined – they were from the NBL directly and joined in the merger. The, this, the Nationals, of course, are now the Sixers, and they um, were one of the better teams in this league as you know, they, they would make the finals with Dolph Shays, uh, you know, very, very talented stuff. Uh, the Knicks – Coming from the BAA, that one's pretty easy. Uh, Washington Capitals, uh, they also came from the BAA, and they would fold during the 51 season. So they would survive this season, but then they would uh, fold during the next season um, for, with financial issues. Uh, the Warriors, who were then Philadelphia, of course now Golden State Warriors, um, in the Eastern Division, uh, were a BAA team, uh, never in the NBL. Uh, the Baltimore Bullets. And they actually joined the BAA from the ABL, which was another league, um, not really a major league. You know, it had been kind of in the 20s and 30s, but sort of, you know, was sort of reduced in scope. but was still kind of hanging around. And Baltimore jumped from there, actually jumped from the ABL to win the 48 uh, BAA finals. Uh, however, they are a different franchise than today's Wizards because they folded during the 55 season. Yeah, the, so their uh, lineage doesn't go to the actual Baltimore Bullets that you know. Uh, right. The future Washington Bullets, future Washington Wizards, they are completely different Baltimore Bullets. So, yeah, a little confusing, right. but, you know, hey. Happened the same name, but yes. Um, yes. And then, of course, the Celtics who came from the, the BAA. Uh, hopefully, I don't have to explain the Celtics to no. anybody. Look. Now we're going to get weird. Let's get really weird with the Western Division. <laughs> <laughs> all right, yes. And these are all NBL teams who joined directly in the merger. So whatever in the BAA uh, just went from NBL to the NBA. Uh, the Indianapolis Olympians, who folded after a 1953, uh, after in 53, after a uh, gambling scandal involving a couple of their stars, they were actually a team that was made up mostly of former University of Kentucky players who had become famous during the 1948 Olympics. So they were actually one of the big prizes in the um, fr from the BA perspective in the merger because you know a lot of the motivation was to get these guys into this league because you know uh, the talent that was under their control uh, also indianapolis you know pretty good still a pretty good market um however the other teams uh the anderson packers uh the tri-city blackhawks sheboygan redskins waterloo hawks and denver nuggets uh, most of those teams not super welcome in the league uh the the packers were um I, depending on who you ask either left or were kicked out of the league after the season uh, the Blackhawks actually be, moved to Milwaukee and became the Hawks franchise, so they were allowed to stay. Uh, the Sheboygan team, again, was left or was kicked out of the league after the season. Uh, the Waterloo Hawks, not, again, not the same as the current Hawks franchise because that was the Blackhawks, also either left or kicked out of the league. Uh, and then the Denver Nuggets, who are not the same as the <laughs> current NBA Nuggets, uh, but have obviously have the same name, also either left or were kicked out of the league after 1950. So, yeah. so they yeah. absorb all these teams and then tell all of them to hit the bricks, except for like, oh, oh, so. Yeah. <laughs> right. exactly. so, so by the beginning of the next season, 51 season, there would be 11 teams left out of the 17. Three of them came directly from the NBL. Eight came from the BAA, but three of those teams had 
previously been in the NBL. And eventually, you know, by the uh, 55 season, we would get down to eight teams, five of which um, had roots in the NBL. Yeah, so really weird, but... Jason, I'm going to get a little more weird with this season because we have no idea how to do this. Like, we have no idea how to schedule this, what the playoffs are going to be. Nobody has any clue, so they just decide, hey, let's try this. And uh, I guess it worked. It did not work. The NBA is still around, but uh, it's a little bit of a disaster. So, uh, as you mentioned there, Syracuse. So, the Syracuse uh, uh, franchise there. One of the NBL teams and a member of the Eastern Division, the Nationals, played a heavy schedule of 44 games against Western Division teams, not only just the Eastern Division teams. Just. Yeah. Okay. So, so even though they were in the Eastern Division, yes. they actually played. You know, the bulk they had sixty-eight games. Forty-four of them were against the Western Division. Yeah. Which, and in, in in you know when you're thinking about it, and you're mentioning those you know teams in the Western Division, you're thinking, man, those teams probably stunk, and they did. They stunk. And Syracuse yeah. was pretty good. And you're thinking, okay, well, that's going to be good because none of the teams there won half of their games played outside the division, and four of the six teams in that Western Division were well below five hundred. So they were bad. They weren't very good teams. Interesting though, Syracuse won 80% of their games against the East and the Central, and then won 80% of their games against the West as well. So they came, they they gave up, you know, they had the same winning percentage as they did uh, against the West. The problem though was that the East and the Central, they had, you know, they were 16 and four, and then the West, they were 35 and nine. So it's, you know, a little bit of like, hey, percentage wise, they're the same, but like, they got 35 wins over really crappy West teams as opposed to, you know, only playing uh, 20 games against the East and the Central. So uh, very bizarre. But, Let's get even more strange. The five Central Division teams and five Eastern Division teams, except Syracuse, again, uniformly played 68 games, six games in each, uh, pairing uh, among themselves, which is 54 games, and then two games each against the Western Division teams and Syracuse to get to 14. So, all right, does that make any sense to you or why that happened? I don't know either, but hey, I guess because Syracuse was an NBL team, they just said, hey, you want to beat up these other NBL teams? And they said, yeah, sure. And that's why we had this. I guess you couldn't put Syracuse in the West either. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. I have no idea. They're, Whatever. They're playing the West schedule, I'm not really sure why you wouldn't put them in the West. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, like I, yeah. I guess they thought, oh, that's that'd be ridiculous if you know, Syracuse is right. in the West. So we'll just have them play the West <laughs> almost exclusively. So. Yeah. Let's trip yes. to Denver, man. That had to be pretty tough in like 1950. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, that's <laughs> why Denver didn't get invited back. Yeah, it's like I'm not inviting them back. It's a long yeah, way to like travel. Denver, yeah, it's just, you know, go through those mountains and stuff. Yeah. Yes. So the Central Division, two teams on top, Minnesota and Rochester, were 51 and 17. And then the next two teams were tied for third at 40 and 28. So to define first and third place, the Lakers played one game against the Royals, while the Stags played one against the Pistons, which was sort of a lead in to the 1950 NBA playoffs. So those were tiebreaker games, which, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense, I guess. Um, And then the six Western Division teams and Syracuse, who are the seven NBL teams again, former NBL teams, they played two games against every one of the ten BAA teams, former BAA teams. The Eastern Central teams, um, except for Syracuse, they played 20 games each. And then they played seven or nine games each and pairing amongst themselves. So, yeah, it's uh, (laughs) – It's a struggle, you know. Um, 
And yeah, and, and there was a really weird playoff format involving, you know, they get, they get the tiebreakers and there's, you know, um, I guess this year they didn't have the round problems, but the, the seating was strange. It, you know, it was uh, it was just completely um, odd the way that it was um, all structured. Yeah, it was it was an absolute mess. You know, four teams yeah. from each division made the playoffs. Uh, that included the uh, 29 and 35 Tri-Cities Blackhawks, uh, the 22 and 40 Sheboygan Redskins. You know, the 22 and 40 Sheboygan team uh, makes the playoffs. Uh, the East was not with not, not without fault either because the Philadelphia Warriors made it at 26 and 42, which I do. We did four teams really have to make it from each division. Do we really right. have to do that? But they yeah. did anyway. Uh, some other oddities as well. Five overtime game as well. One of three games in league history with five or more overtimes uh, between the Syracuse and uh, Anderson Packers. Uh, that set the record with uh, 122 personal fouls. So an exciting game uh, between Syracuse and, and uh, Anderson. 166 free throw attempts and 116 free throws made, which, by the way, resulted in 50 missed field goals, which made Rick Barry... Um, he's not dead, but he'd be turning in his grave if he was dead. So right, yeah, free throws, not field goals, but yeah, free throws. Oh, missed. sorry, sorry, so, yes, yeah, okay. yes, yeah, I, yeah. Weirdly, so uh, back to this playoff format. Sorry, um, I'm I'm obsessing over this. So you know, <laughs> that's fine. There, hey. were, there were three sets of division finals. You know, the Lakers beat the Pistons, the Nationals beat the Knicks, and the Packers beat the Olympians. But of course, you can't have three teams play each other at the same time. So I guess the Nationals somehow got a buy. And then the Lakers <laughs> beat the Packers, um, and then and then the Lakers and Nationals played in a seven game series and, and beat the um, Nationals. So I, I, yeah, Nationals. Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe they were just you know they it was too much rest and they weren't able to you know overcome <laughs> right. it. You know? yeah. And who can forget the uh, the sack races on consecutive Sundays to uh, to uh, officially uh, right. declare an NBA champion? Which of course, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. Right. Um, yes. And this is the last season in which a major. Prof- Pro Basketball League did not have an African-American player. The NBL actually previously had black, player, black players. The BAA had not. And, of course, you know, integration would um, would take place the next season. So There we go. That was uh, – man, that's a weird one. <laughs> that might be yeah. the all-time weirdest one. I, that's just, I mean, yeah. it's it's a weird merger. I get why it's that way. But, man, what a, what a strange, strange season that is. Right. Yes. Uh, so next we have um, is speaking of adding teams to the league. We have 1971. The NBA decides to add three teams at uh, the same time, uh, sort of an sort of inexplicably. Um, before the 1971 season, I mean, the, the, the league had majorly expanded over the past five years. They added one team in '67 two in 68 and two in 69. So, you know, increasing from, you know, a 10 team league into or, or a nine team league into a 14 team league, you know, with these three new teams make it 17. Plus there were 11 and ABA teams debuting in 1968 when that league was created. So basically, you know, the pool of players goes from, you know, nine teams to 28 teams in just a matter of, you know, five years. So just incredible changes and right. in, you know, a whole lot, a lot of, you know, new players. And, and, you know, this, much of it was positive because guys who had never really would have gotten a shot, got a shot. And many of them, you know, were, you know, cause they were maybe undersized or what have you. And a lot of them, you know, became stars and, you know, became awesome, but obviously there's some talent dilution there, you know, quality of play, you know, it could be an issue here and there, you know, that obviously big ramifications. I think obviously the talent eventually caught up with it, but for a little while, you know, the, it kind of has some effect on the quality of play. Um, this also was during a time, you know, expansion is voted on in January 1970. And then in a 
NBA ABA merger, which would have added all of the ABA teams into the league, was actually negotiated in 1978, just a few months later. Looked like it was going to happen, and then it ends up being blocked by the Oscar Robertson lawsuit, which you know basically blocks the merger for the next you know six years or so. Um, it gets settled. So um, the new teams are Portland Trail Blazers, Buffalo Braves, and Cleveland Cavaliers. Originally, the NBA had planned to add a fourth Houston team. The Rockets at that point were still in San Diego. They would move to Houston the next season. But the franchise was revoked in March of 1970 after they couldn't meet a $750,000 down, down payment on the $3.7 million entry yeah, it's 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 definitely a weird, you know, the expansion is it always leads to, you know, and, and we saw it in, in this portion of the NBA as well, where like, you know, expansion leads to a lot of, you know, bad play initially as the league has to kind of find itself and, and the players need to kind of emerge. But more times than not, it ends up being a positive, like at, at a certain level, like, no, there shouldn't be 70 teams or whatever. Like that would probably right. be bad or you know there shouldn't be 50 teams or whatever. But like a few teams here and there. Yeah, they're going to have some doldrums. They're going to have some bad seasons. But more than not, like more times than not, you'll, you'll they'll the things will end up smoothing out a little bit and there will be stars that emerge. And, and and people like you said that would have never gotten chances if not for it. So I'm usually pre I'm I'm, pre, I'm usually pro expansion within reason, you know. Of course, sure. there's there's yeah, always absolutely. you know there's always issues that come up here, but and we saw it a little bit in this season. But no, I'm 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 fine with these new teams. Yes. And so this also, you know, for the first time creates uh, conferences before the NBA was organized in divisions, um, you know, two divisions, um, you know, with, you know, however many teams there have been. But this is the first time where there's four divisions, you split into conferences, um, the uh, Pistons and Bucks end up going from the east into the west, uh, the Midwest division of the Western Conference. The Hawks go from being in the West, remember they had been in St. Louis up until a couple years previously, so they kind of gotten stuck out in the West, and they end up going into the central division of the Eastern Conference. So things would you know, kind of shift over the remainder of the 70s, and by 1980, kind of settle into something similar to what we see today. Um but uh, yeah, the the playoff format was was changed as well. Um, each division sent a champion and a second place team to the playoffs, no matter what the records were. So, created odd situations this year where a forty eight win Suns team, who were third in their division, didn't make the playoffs, but a forty one win Warriors team, who were second in their division, did. So, this only lasted for three years. The NBA changed this in 74 to make it the best teams per conference rather than um, per division. Yeah, which is a, a much better. I mean, this this yeah. this way sucks. This is a bad way to determine your playoffs. And, and it, you know, the way that they have now isn't perfect, but it, it has lasted the test of time. And, yeah, there's some some things you kind of have to, you know, work out and, and other things about, you know, the, the seating or whatnot. But, yeah, there's a reason why that has sort of been the prevailing way to, you know, declared you know the playoff eligible teams was you know all these other scenarios that they tried for many many years including this like horrendous one here are, are have went away and then will hopefully hopefully never come back so yes and uh yeah another odd in in the playoffs the uh in the conference in the finals the champion of each division played the second place team in the other one so the division champ was given home court advantage um and all of them want to move down to the conference finals and in in the finals themselves they were played in alternating home game fashion, which is the second time and last time that it ever happened. The first was 1956. And the uh, in the finals, the uh, the Bucks, led by a second-year player, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, he won his first uh, NBA championship. They swept the Bullets in four straight games. Um, the Bucks win their uh, championship in only the third season of his existence. That's still the fastest expansion team in NBA history to win a title. I doubt that's ever going to be broken. 
Um, Bucks also the first uh, Western Conference team to win the finals since 1958. The St. Louis Hawks uh, having done so. Of course, you know the Celtics having won most of those. Obviously, you know played a big role, but that's uh, that I hadn't really even realized that. Um, interesting. And also it was the N- first NBA Finals not played in the state of California in uh, in ten years. Yeah, that's <laughs> finally getting it out of uh, out of California uh, is an yeah. important thing to do here for yeah. sure. I mean they they. Uh, you know that they're, they're a popular team. They, <laughs> California does more. Uh, one last time as well. Uh, this is the uh, first time participants playing in their first NBA Finals, as we mentioned, Dallas Mavericks, Miami Heat, uh, 2006 NBA Finals here. So uh, we also had uh, some other weird stuff as well. Uh, mounting pressure from the you know the upstart ABA, which as you mentioned, they try to do a merger, doesn't quite happen this season. Uh, and the ABA continues to take players from the NBA. You know, most notably uh, Kentucky's Dan Issel and North Carolina's Charlie Scott go to the ABA instead of the NBA. Uh, Dan Issel, of course, becomes an immediate star in the ABA. Uh, eventually, once the ABA you know merges with the NBA, he still remains a star. But yeah, to pick up you know Dan Issel, who was a big deal in college at Kentucky, you know a, a, a big time player, a guy that everybody knew kind of was going to become a star. And, and Charlie Scott, not to be you know discredited either, a very very good player, maybe not on the level of a Dan Issel. But I mean, these are two big gets by the ABA, and the ABA continue to just get these guys, like you know guys that would just you know you wouldn't expect ever to to take you know the money to, for this upstart league or whatever would continue to go there. And yeah, Issel and Scott, just the next two guys to do it. Yes, and um, another key uh, young talent, although this was going in the other way, uh, Spencer Haywood, who had been a rookie in 1970 with the ABA's uh, then Denver Rockets, you know, would later become the Nuggets, um, ended up jumping to the NBA for the 1971 season, um, joining the Supersonics, signing a six-year, $1.5 million contract. Uh, a couple problems with this. One, he had an agreement with the ABA, and two, the NBA had a rule that would not allow you. Know, there was a four-year rule, which meant that you know a player could not play in the league until you know he had completed four years of college, until his college class had um, you know passed four years. So uh, there were lawsuits. Um, eventually, a court issued a temporary restraining order against the NBA, allowing Haywood to play. But you know the teams that the Sonics would play often would um, protest the games in which Haywood would play, deeming him an illegal player. The Bulls actually sued the Sonics for six hundred thousand in damages when Chet Walker was hurt in a game that Haywood played. It's not clear um, in the notes whether Haywood was actually involved in the actual injury or if the Bulls just. Um, Said, well, he, he got hurt because he was distracted by a game, you a player who shouldn't have been playing. Was <laughs> right. so, um, I, I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate that. It's a level of like, I don't know, level of fuckery that uh, seems pretty wild. That Chet Walker was like, yeah. well, he was illegal. I, I just, I couldn't focus. Yeah, yeah that's just yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, it's <laughs> like. Um, the NBA Board of Governors actually considered even a, a punishment up to ex, uh, expulsion of the Sonics from the league for what happened. Eventually, later on in the season, the Supreme Court stepped in. Uh, they side with Haywood. They basically continue that temporary restraining order against the NBA. And this leads to a settlement between the Sonics and the NBA that essentially ends the four-year eligibility rule, allows Haywood to continue. And, you know, he'd be a really effective, you know, all-NBA uh, star player for the Sonics for the next few seasons. Uh, then, you know, later in the seventies, there were, you know, there were drug issues, a trade to the Knicks that didn't go well, you know, other issues for him, but, you know, for, for a short period of time, he absolutely was, you know, a, 
uh, a, a big start or you know a, a standout All NBA uh, player for, for for quite a while. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. All star every single year. You know, averaging over twenty points a game every year. Sometimes over twenty six. I think one time twenty nine point two or right under thirty uh, sure. points per game. So yeah, tremendous player. But yeah, a lot of a lot of rigmarole here that just seems like in hindsight just completely ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like knowing what we know now, and it's just like, why do you guys care that much? Just let the guy play. Like who cares? But rules are rules, I guess, at that time. So. Uh, sure. That ends a very, very weird season. Uh, and speaking of weird, too, we're going to go classic again here. 1954 to 1955, the shot clock is introduced, and boy, do things happen. So in response, uh, relatively slow pace of games, the NBA introduces a 24-second shot clock. And, well, it worked because scoring skyrocketed lead-wide. Uh, overall league scoring rose from 79.5 the year prior all the way to 93.1 points per game. Uh, and I think a surprise to most people at the time because a lot of the stuff you read, a lot of the kind of uh, feedback was that, like, ah, oh, guys are just going to take shots and they're just going to miss. Uh, but field goal percentage didn't drop. It actually rose from 37.2% uh, to 38.5%. So people took more shots and they made more shots, which led, of course, to a lot more points. Uh, and teams attempted uh, over 11 more shots per game. Uh, surprisingly, though, free throws only moved to uh, around four per game. So the free throws didn't explode as much uh, as the shots did, but still a pretty um, a pretty interesting number there. Uh, the Baltimore Bullets, we mentioned them uh, a little bit in, in, in the prior episode here. Uh, they drop out of the NBA. They officially fold on November 27th, 1954, after playing just 14 games. They were 3-11 and uh, that year. As we mentioned before, these are not the same Baltimore Bullets as today's Washington Wizards, uh, rather just ABL, BBA, uh, and future NBA team. Uh, and thankfully, this is the last time that NBA franchise has folded midway through a season. So it hasn't happened, despite uh, I'm sure, you know, teams like the Los Angeles Clippers or the Sacramento Kings or whatever, feeling like they were uh, on the verge of doing that or Vancouver Grizzlies uh, never happened again. So I, I guess that's pretty good. And and what I think is the weirdest part about this, which is cr- pretty crazy, uh, the NBA schedule was redrafted. So each team now played 12 games against divisional opponents, nine games against the four teams in other divisions and a total of 72 games. And officially, the Bullets just did not exist that year. Their records are stripped their stats are stripped those games just don't exist it's a very very weird thing to happen for the bullets there but yeah if you go to the nba season on basketball reference you see the baltimore bullets and you see blanks the three and eleven the 14 games they played they didn't exist basically officially yeah uh yes thankfully we've done the same to the charlotte bobcats for the uh, years in which they were in the, the, uh, <laughs> the I, i'm not sure yeah <laughs> what are you talking about <laughs> it's confusing yeah uh let's just move on no, they're not, uh, a baa team in charlotte no i, I think you're you're mistaken oh, yeah. yeah no I'm, i probably got <laughs> that was sheboygan not charlotte uh, sheboygan. Sheboygan. Yeah. yeah you mix sheboygan those up all the time <laughs> if sheboygan comes back they can have the name bobcats exactly the sheboygan bobcats perfect yes. yeah. yeah there you go yes so, yeah, and uh, some NBA made on television that year. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, getting real classic here. The Dumont Network, one of our favorite networks here on the show. The Dumont Network <laughs> began televising yeah. uh, NBA games of the year prior. Uh, this is the first official uh, national TV deal for the NBA. Um, so, yeah, congratulations to the NBA. They're on TV and it's the Dumont Network and, and some fun stuff that goes on in this as well. Uh, NBC took over uh, in, in this year as well. Uh, so the Dumont Network had been doing the NBA games. NBC officially takes over here. The, the current you know, NBC that we know today took over this year. They will hold the rights then until April 7th, 1962, when something that I discovered literally doing the notes for this, which is amazing, and it's a lot of fun kind of researching it, uh, Sports Network Incorporated slash the Hughes Television Network 
Uh, they bought the rights for the 1963-1964 season. Uh, the Network Sports Incorporated, Hughes Television Network, they attempt to be the fourth, nas- uh, fourth national TV network in America. Uh, but you can probably guess because you don't know what who they are. Uh, they failed spectacularly. It did not happen. Uh, and they specialize in sports games, including most notably baseball. Uh, and they had a pretty cool idea. The revolutionary idea was they were going to broadcast away baseball games to their home city. So if you were a fan of the St. Louis Cardinals, they were going to give you Cardinals versus Cubs games, you know, on television in your home, even though they weren't there, which is, again, like in hindsight, like, oh, yeah, obviously. But it's not a revolutionary idea for them to do. But the undertaking was way too much. And, and this league obviously could not uh, could not do it uh, very well. So NBC, as we said, in this year has the deal. Uh, they lose it in 1962, and NBC, of course, would not get the NBA back until 1999, and then, thank God, they got it back because we got Rumble Rock, so. Yes. Um, absolutely. Uh, a couple other notable things. Milwaukee Hawks played their final season in uh, Milwaukee before moving to St. Louis the following season. Uh, NBA would return to Milwaukee, of course, with the Bucks in 1968. Uh, other oddities, the... Uh, NBA players took their first steps to form a union ahead of the All-Star game of that year. It's not the same famous protest years later where Elgin Baylor famously told Lakers owner Bob Short to F off uh, before the game. And <laughs> the uh, league ended up agreeing to um, to some concessions from the players. But it was, you know, they were able they, they made some demands and and got the union at least some level of recognition. Um and then the NBA got rid of its divisional route robin and went straight to a traditional uh, playoff format that you know, is relatively similar to what it, it does today, except for many more teams, of course. So. Oh, boy. So, yeah, t- fun stuff in that uh, that season as well. So let's, let's get to our next season here. This is another uh, kind of semi-classic one, 1976-77 post ABA merger. We have talked about this during our basketball mysteries of the '70s uh, series that we did here on over and back. But Jason, oh my God, <laughs> the merger similar to uh, the '19, uh, you know, the the, the 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 merger that creates the NBA. This one had a lot of issues. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, the um, you know, the four t- teams that joined uh, the ABA teams: uh, the San Antonio Spurs, Indiana Pacers, Denver Nuggets, recently renamed from Denver Rockets, and the New York Nets. Um, so team league expanded from 18 teams to 22. The jazz had been added, uh, as the, um, 17th team, or excuse me, the, yeah, the 18th team, um, just a couple of seasons before, uh, the other two ABA teams that folded prior to the merger, um, uh, except for the Kentucky journals and the spirits of St. Louis, who ended up being bought out. Both those players were picked up. All those players were picked up uh, by, uh, the NBA teams in the ABA dispersal draft, of course, Artis Gilmore being the biggest prize, uh, ended up going to the Chicago Bulls. Uh, the playoffs were also expanded from five teams per conference to six. And former ABA players, you know, tended to dominate the league league off league's honors. Um, five of the ten All Star starters were from the ABA. Ten of the twenty four All Star participants were former ABA players. Julius Irving um, won the um, the league the the All Star game MVP. And four of the 10 slots on the all NBA first and second teams were filled with former ABA players. And again, you know, it was only four of the 18 teams plus a handful of players that ended up joining the league. It wasn't like it was nearly half of the league. I mean, it was barely, you know, barely 20% of the league, um, I would say. So to, you know, have this amount on uh, of the talent there, you know, showed what talent there really was in the ABA, even, you know, at the end. 
Yeah, uh, that's, you know, fun fact that, that I think a lot of people don't give enough respect to is that the ABA came in and like, yeah, maybe the teams themselves weren't immediately, you know, great, but like the players obviously were, were all immediately great and, and yeah, became, you know, improved really once and for all. And I think most people, you know, that, that followed the league at the time and have done history and done that sort of stuff know that the ABA was was not a true secondary league or like a real bad, like it was, it was a, a solid competitive professional league and the players there yeah there was some oddities there was some fun stuff that we laugh about with the aba and some weird stuff that happened but yeah all in all like a, a league that was filled with tremendous players that you know jumped into the nba and didn't skip a beat were, were, were still good uh and in many cases still great so yeah pretty cool stuff that that, that you know they were able to dominate the, the league honors right out of the gates yeah for sure um so, you know, another interesting thing is, you know, there were really big schedule shifts, including a, a mostly balanced schedule in which teams played most of the other teams in the league four times each, you know, um, with 22 teams, you know, or 20, you playing 21 other teams. Um, you know, that was about 84 games. So, you know, an 82 game season, you're playing mostly the teams four times, which, you know, greatly increased the amount of travel um, because obviously you're, you're playing the teams in the conference way more than you were. Um, uh, yeah. And th- this only lasted for three seasons. It ended after the 79 season, but I, I, I'm pretty convinced that this played a big role in the parody of these three seasons in particular. I mean, there, there was definitely more parody starting in 75 and 76, but it really amped up a lot in 77 through 79. And I, I think that has to be part of, you know, what happened, obviously, you know, the ABA coming in and, and the merger and the way that talent was distributed played a factor too. But I, I really think I, I just yeah. kind of know, you know, that, that just makes, makes a lot of sense to me. Absolutely. No, I percent agree. Uh, the finals, you know, the Portland Trailblazers make their first playoff exp- appearance and end up winning their, you know, first and right now only NBA championship. Uh, became the second team in history after the '69 Celtics to win the finals after dropping the first two games, uh, and in fact swept after losing the first two games. There were five former ABA players in that finals: uh, Irving, George McGinnis, and Caldwell Jones for the 76ers, and Maurice Lucas and Dave Twardzik for the Blazers. Um, and you know, of course, you know, the highlight of, you know, Bill Walton's career, you know, emerging from the injuries that he had had in his early seasons and, uh, you know, um, being the, uh, you know, winning the championship, winning the MVP the next season. And unfortunately, of course, following up with lots of injuries, um, you know, for for him, that would dog him for most of the rest of his yeah. career. Um, yeah, some of the other oddities of the season. Um uh, you know, we have a, a huge trade right at the day before the season uh, as Julius Serving is traded from the Nets to the Sixers for $3 million, which really upends the balance of power in the league. It turns the Sixers, who are already a very good team, into, you know, potentially a super team. They underachieved to a degree, but of course, you know, they would still make the finals and, you know, took a 2-0 lead um, in that final. So they, you know, accomplished a, a decent amount there. Uh, twins Dick Van Arsdale and Tom Van Arsdale of uh, uh, Phoenix play their first NBA game as teammates. Um, Buffalo traded Bob McAdoo had just been the MVP two seasons ago to New York. Another huge shakeup in talent and kind of ending, you know, was really a, a promising, you know, Braves team just a couple seasons ago that looked like they, you know, could be the future of the NBA somewhat to a degree of, you know, kind of the Orlando magic of the, uh, of the nineties. You know, I, I think there was, there's some parallels um, there in terms of, you know, kind of the young guys they had um, there. Uh, Ted Turner buys 55% of the Atlanta Hawks. Yeah. 
gives us giant Gonzalez in the future. So yeah, the gift that exactly. keeps on giving. Right, it is. It's literally yeah. El Gigante, El Gigante, I should say. Well, eventually, giant Gonzalez. Oh, yeah. But yeah. eventually, yes, there's all roads eventually lead to giant Gonzalez. Exactly right. What right. I understand. So fantastic. Uh, John Y. Brown, the former owner of the Kentucky Colonels, ends up going from the ABA to the NBA when he buys the uh, Buffalo Braves. So he gets a, a, a deal to get rid of the Colonels, and then he jumps in and buys the Braves. A couple years later, he'd eventually <laughs> finagle his way into uh, owning the Celtics and making Red Arbeck really mad and uh, getting out of the NBA business. Um, and the NBA referees end up striking toward the end of regular season and uh, the and the beginning of the playoffs. Um, creating some, you know, disruption through the season before you know things were settled by the, all parties. Absolutely. So uh, we'll we'll f- conclude here with a, a actually listener suggestion as well as Eric Griffith of uh, the B Ball Index and Blazers Edge uh, told us about the eighty six eighty seven season, which was not on our radar, but a really good season. There's a really well, really good in terms of weirdness. because that's, that's the point of this episode is we're looking for weird years here, not just necessarily good years. Uh, and and I think he nailed it here. So we start the you know the year the off season. Uh, with uh, John Hot Rod Williams, uh, who was drafted in 1985, he is acquitted of charges in a point-shaving scandal uh, in college. I feel like we do not have enough point-shaving scandals in colleges anymore. Um, I feel like we never have point-shaving. <laughs> like you know, really? it's like, yeah, it's a constant really thing in like the old days, and now we never, you know, yeah. nobody's point-shaving. Everyone's just getting benefits no. or whatever. I want some point-shaving yeah. scandals. <laughs> yeah. Shave those points, baby. Right, and and yeah. sports betting's been never been popular. Let's go. Let's get it. Right. Let's, yeah. yeah. There you go. Anyway, <laughs> the Sixers yes. also, uh, they trade Moses Malone, uh, Terry Catledge, and two first-rounders, uh, including the number one pick that ends up being Brad Doherty uh, when the draft was the next day, uh, for Jeff Ruland and Cliff, no, not that Clifford Robinson. So, um, mm, yeah, not a great, yeah. not a one great. One of the more inexplicable <laughs> trades we talked about before, but just, you know, baffling that that happened, you know, um, trading a former NBA MVP, a little bit of a downside, but still, you know, really effective player, and a number one pick, um, <laughs> overall pick for two players who were just kind of, you know, okay-ish. Uh, and one, you know, who was injury prone, who was pretty good, but injury prone and ended up not doing a whole lot. Just kind of baffling there. Um, yeah, the next day, and the Cavs, they finally do something right. No longer, <laughs> you know, Ted Stepien's out there anymore, but they end up um, – Along with Brad Doherty, they end up uh, also drafting Ron Harper and Mark Price, which basically gives them what a draft. My God. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, basically the three best NBA careers among the first 25 picks. Now, uh, you know, Sabonis is 24th, but he doesn't come along for a decade. So I I, I would say that overall the three careers are are ahead of his, even if the talent he's there. And and Rodman wasn't until 27th. So, yeah, not a it's a weird draft. I mean, there actually is quite a bit of talent there, but it's all like second round and like deeper um, type talent. So, but yeah, the Cavs, you know, they get a, a you know, basically their young core um, or guys that they would trade for their young core that leads to you know, them having like really solid or pretty good, you know, rising teams, you know, in the early to mid nineties. Yeah. I mean, that's anytime you can get like, you know, you get two good players in a draft. That's one thing, three good players. And like, not even just like good, like rotation pieces, like the top, you know, Brad Doherty, Mark Price and Ron Harper, who would all, as you said, like become yeah. cornerstones all of that franchise, yeah. all, all exactly. star level players like that just rules. What a great yeah. draft that was for the Cavaliers. Hey, look, yeah. the Cavaliers doing something good for the first time yeah. in their and entire franchise yeah. history. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Right. So, yeah. There's yeah. a few little, a few little spots here and there, but yeah, for the most part, um, good stuff there. But, uh, not good stuff here. Number two overall pick in the NBA draft, Len Bias, dies of a, a cardiorespiratory uh, arrest from a cocaine overdose. 
uh, just days after the draft as well. Uh, just a terrible, terrible story there. And again, another sort of snake bitten Boston Celtics thing here with, you know, okay, they're already a really good team and now they get the number two pick. Oh man. And then they get Len Bias and it seems like, oh geez, like the Celtics are just similar to Reggie Lewis. Like they're just, they're ready to go for the next decade. And then of course, uh, uh, this happens and a real tragic, tragic story uh, and a real, a real telling story too. And I, I think, you know, in a way, maybe, um, if you take any positive from it is that it let everybody kind of wake up to, okay, what's going on with this NBA? Like what's going on with basketball? What's going on with sports uh, and cocaine yeah. and athletes and stuff? I mean, it, it didn't stop obviously, but I think it, it, it shined a light that this is a real, real issue uh, amongst, you know, all sports leagues and, 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 you know, we yeah. saw it clean up. Hopefully, and, and you know, a little society bit general. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. That summer TNT ended up picking up NBA broadcasts for the first time with a relationship that continues today, obviously. Um, Julius Irving announced his retirement on the eve of the season and ended up getting, you know, a huge farewell tour, which was a really big deal at the time. And he was one of the biggest stars in the league's history. Of course, you know, he kind of was, I think the spark that sort of, you know, started the fire, you know, that was, you know, continued with magic and bird, especially Jordan, but he was definitely, you know, you know, brought the ABA style over and, you know, with a, you know, with a merged league that ended up, you know, really, growing the league and, you know, kind of bore the fruits of the initial real, you know, growth of the league sort of toward the end of his career. Um, and then January 1987, Mitchell Wiggins and Lewis Lloyd of the defending finalist Rockets ended up being suspended after a failing uh, drug test, which is big, you know, damaging to, you know, that team that, it, you know, um, that, you know, was definitely a finals contender seemingly at that point, obviously um, injuries, Ralph Sampson also played a big role there. Um, Later that much, number three pick Chris Washburn of the Golden State Warriors also enters drug treatment, dealt with drug issues, and you know had a uh, one considered one of the bigger busts in NBA history uh, for a relatively short career. Um, the uh, February 1987, the Lakers took a 29 to zero lead in a game against the Kings, which was a record uh, start. There, obviously, won that game in quite a blowout. Um, just a week later, Alex English of the Denver Nuggets sued Kareem Abdul-Jabbar over one hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollars in debts. Uh, must have been a good friend to let uh, somebody borrow one hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's uh... <laughs> uh, a weird time to ask, Jason. But can I borrow one hundred fifty thousand dollars from you? Uh, Answer after the show. After, after the show, after, after yeah. the show yeah. we can talk. Yeah, sorry, it's yeah. a weird time to do it. I should have just waited. Sorry. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, we'll hit that part. Of it, so. Uh, April 1987, huge drug scandal involving the Phoenix Suns. Although it ended up really being more of an embarrassment than any legal repercussions. But, um, you know, a, a grand jury in Arizona indicted you know, current or former Suns players, James Edwards, Jay Humphreys, uh, Grant Grondrzyk, uh Garfield Hurd, and Mike Brett. Uh, Walter Davis ended up testifying before the grand jury entering drug treatment. Obviously, I'm sure he was very popular among his teammates for narking on all of them. Again yeah, probably didn't go over well, but hey, I'm, yes. I guess I'm glad he did. <laughs> he might have yeah. saved some lives here, but uh, yeah, still. Yeah. Probably didn't uh, go over well. The story was dubbed Waltergate uh, and got national news coverage, uh, you know, huge damage to team's reputation. But it turns out that later that summer, the case really started falling apart. Uh Davis really like didn't 
have good details in his testimony and no defendant in the case went to trial. Um, Edwards and Humphreys did join a drug counseling program and um, Gondrasik was, he was pleaded guilty tampering with the witness and got three years of probation. But outside of that, not really, you know, embarrassment. The Suns ended up changing ownership and then trading almost all of their players and, you know, um, getting Kevin Johnson and, um, you know, and, and, and kind of rebuilding from there in Tom Chambers. But, um, but yes, it, it was – and given all of the drug things that were happening during that time, obviously another embarrassment for the league. But in terms of you know legal implications, you know, not very – relatively minor ones. Absolutely, yeah. But just a, yeah, another just in a long line of, of yeah, this year. Um, just crazy the amount of stuff going on this year, especially the drug uh, issues in the NBA and just really taking sure. over um, – uh, the NBA, but uh, some positive news or some fun news here. Sub 500 Sonics make it all the way to the Western Conference Finals despite not having an arena for their first round matchup, which is yeah. uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, sub 500 team making the Western Conference Finals is rare in itself. Uh, team doing so without really much having a home is, is you know, equally crazy. So, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, Burden uh, and McHale uh, played through injury at a huge cost, obviously, ended up kind of, um, you know, derailing, I think, the, the last parts of their careers and, and, and really kind of uh, putting an end on, on the Boston Celtics, you know, reign of dominance uh, in the NBA. Uh, Magic breaks through for the MVP. Uh, the bad boy Pistons are a thing. Now, uh, Jordan becomes the second player ever to score 3,000 points in a season. And uh, after the season's over, Bill Russell is named the coach of the Kings. Sacramento Kings decided that Bill Russell is going to be their coach. So good stuff for them. Yeah. But uh, eh, didn't work out that well. But <laughs> that's why, you know, hey, you know. Yeah. Uh, yes, but but it's really noteworthy. You know, he hadn't been coaching like 15 years. He'd been doing broadcasting. I, you know, he'd been the he recently become the GM of the team, so he was also, um, or I, I think maybe he was the coach and then was later became the GM. Um, I, I yeah, I think I, for, I forget how it worked, but I, th- I think you're right. right. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, no, th- this was a good suggestion from Eric. You know, and yeah, honestly, there are probably a lot of seasons if you really dug into the details, you could probably find. You know, you, I'm sure there's other seasons that might make our weird list if we thought it through more, or you know, um, even ahead of some of the ones that we had here. But you know, it's just this is a fun exercise to dig into some seasons. Whether we're actually right about you know what's the most weird is <laughs> no, we are right. These are the official weirdest seasons right. ever. <laughs> All right, no, Absolutely. exactly. It's just like yeah, it, it, it's tough to. Um... Yeah, but but we're, if you have one, let us know. Of course, you've mentioned that over and back NBA uh, on Facebook and Twitter. Let us know if there's an, a weird NBA season that you pick out. Because, yeah, like we said, Eric gave us this one. And I'm thinking, ah, that's a weird. I don't, know, I don't really know anything about that yeah. one. And then digging in, I was like, ah, it's pretty weird. Good. And, you know, yeah. there's no criteria. What you think is weird is weird. So, hey, let's let's embrace the weirdness that is 2020 by picking out other weird seasons. I think that's perfectly fine. Let's all keep it weird. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> let's keep NBA history weird. So, all right. Well, thanks, uh, everyone, for listening. Um, as Rich mentioned, you know, you can, uh, you know, uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back. Um, you can find us at the Step Back at uh, Fansided.com. Uh, you know, some some great stuff there, including our podcast. And, uh, you know, just uh, check out what we're doing. And uh, if you if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating and review. They are helpful to uh, spread the word on what we're doing. So until next time, thanks for listening. We'll be back again soon. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.